It's very encouraging to see each and every one of you here today. God is at work in your lives, and his hand is upon each one of you. And you make a difference. You make a difference in other people's lives. You make a difference wherever you are. And so recognize and embrace that truth that God's hand is on each one of you, and you make a difference. You are incredibly important in God's perspective. From heaven's perspective, you are incredibly important. And I've been feeling really, uh, oh, Gary and I just every January really feel like the Lord just kind of pulls us back to reevaluate and to kind of do an analysis or an evaluation, I guess you might say, or you could even call it kind of like a heart check, you know, where you just have to put on your stethoscope and allow the Holy Spirit to listen to your heart and make sure it's beating the way it should be in right rhythm, that what's going on with your heart, you know, what kind of condition is your heart in? Because it's so easy for us to get so busy. Life just gets so busy. How many of you could agree that life gets busy? Is there anybody here who doesn't feel busy? Raise your hand if you don't feel busy. Honestly, I I don't think I see even one hand, but life gets busy. And sometimes we allow it to get way too busy. And I think the culture that we live in right now is such a technological culture and, you know, um, an international world, really. There's just so much going on, and we're bombarded with so much information. We have so many things that vie for our attentions, so much that just wants to absorb our day. And we all have the same amount of time. We all have seven days a week, 24 hours a day. We all have the exact same amount of time. And we all get to choose how we spend that time, what we do with it, whether we invested in something that's worthwhile or whether we just fritter it away and you know let it just seep through our hands. And one thing that I remind myself of frequently is I will say out loud to myself even sometimes, I'll say, Michelle, this day when the nightfall comes, when evening comes and the sun sets, this day is gone. It's going to be over, and you'll never get these moments back again. And I remind myself of that because sometimes I don't always necessarily feel like doing what I think I should be doing with my time. Sometimes I'd like to just kick back, and I do. It's important to rest, and it's important to recreate and have times of fun and all that. I'm not saying that we shouldn't, but there are just times where I have to give myself a pep talk and say, you know what, what you do with your time today is really important. And what you choose to invest your time in today could matter for eternity. And there's times where I feel the Holy Spirit prompting me to do something, and maybe my flesh says, oh, that's not really what was on my list for today. But you know what? Every time I obey, every time I respond, every time I yield and follow what I sense the Lord is doing and asking me to do, it is so worth it. And so, first of all, I just feel to encourage you to do that, to take time to allow the Holy Spirit to do a heart check on each one of us and find out where we're at and what are we doing. If we don't ever take the time to do that and to check in with the Lord, we could be going in such a direct, a kind of an off-course direction. And, you know, Gary and I have talked about this before. You've heard us say this. You can go, be going in this direction, but if you get off even just a little bit, here, down the road, you're going to be off a lot. 
And we've talked with young people different times and said the choices that you make now, and that applies to every age, but we found ourselves having the opportunity to speak this into young people's lives quite a bit. The choices that you make now will make a huge difference five years down the road, ten years down the road. It will just completely direct the course of your life. And so the choices that we make, even in simple things, are so very important. I've been reading in Psalm number 1, the very first book of Psalms. And you can turn there if you would, if you have your Bible with you. This psalm has just been kind of shouting out to me in these last weeks. You are probably all familiar with it, but I'd like to kind of unpack this psalm. And it sort of ties in a little bit with what Gary was sharing last week. For those of you who that were here last week, Gary was sharing how there's two types of people. There's those that are following after the Lord and have made Jesus Christ Lord of their life. And there's those that don't know the Lord, that are pre-Christian, that are walking in darkness. And there's two different kinds. In, the, in um, 1 John, the writer of 1 John, John the Apostle, says, those that have the Son have life, and those that don't have the Son don't have life. And so there's basically just this line of demarcation. If you know Jesus Christ, you're on the side of life. You've been filled with the Spirit, and you've been brought out of darkness into the light of Christ. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you're on this side. It doesn't matter how, how hard you try to make your life good and pleasing, you're on the side of being ungodly. You don't know the Lord. And then we'll talk in a little bit about how even on the side of life, there's varying degrees of how we're living our Christian walk. And so what we're looking at in Psalm number 1 is the writer of Psalm number 1, David, says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, on God's law, he meditates day and night. He, the godly one, the godly man, is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, and whatever he does prospers. But not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Okay, I'd like us to kind of take a look at this and unpack it a little bit, because I think that most of you have read that psalm before or heard it before or been familiar with it to some degree. And it's so easy to just say, like, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. But I think we need to unpack it and really hear what the Lord is saying in this psalm. He's contrasting two kinds of people. And what are those two kinds of people that God is contrasting? The godly and the ungodly. Like I said, that line of demarcation, he's contrasting the godly and the ungodly. And there's a lot in here that's really important for us to take a look at. The godly are the ones who do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. They have chosen to not let the value system and the advice and the standard of the world be their guide. And you know what? That is not always easy to do. There are so many subtle ways that the world wants to influence and to influence us, excuse me, and to guide us and to cause us to lower our standard. 
And you know, um, most of you know that there's, I've heard it over and over, that statistics show that even in the church, the breakup of marriage and divorce in the church is basically the same as the statistically counted divorce rate in the world. And so, I mean, we can just see how the standard of the world of the ungodly uh, counsel of the wicked tries and tries to beat at us and to influence us. And God is saying that the man who doesn't give in to that, the man or the woman that does not give in to that will be blessed. And so right away we have to look at that and say, do I want to be blessed? If we do, we make a choice and a decision not to walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. And what does that mean? What does it mean not to sit in the seat of mockers? Well, we'll, we'll just let's unpack it just a little bit. It means that we're not, as I said, not going to let those standards be our measure or we're not even going to seek advice or counsel from people that are not walking with the Lord. Why would we possibly seek important advice or counsel from someone who is not walking with the Lord. There, God has people all around us who can guide us and counsel us and help us and speak into our life. Sometimes we don't want to hear what they have to say. Have you ever been in that position? It's like, I really don't want to hear what you have to say. So I'm going to avoid you. I'm not going to look you in the eye. I'm just going to go around you know, about my duty because I don't really want to know what you have to say. But if we really want to be blessed, we'll seek counsel from people that know God and are walking with God. We'll read the book. As Kip was talking about the power of God's word, the book of God's word is a revelation, direct revelation from God. Do you want to hear from God? Read his word. It's written for us. It will guide us. It will, it will cause our life to be blessed. It's, the word is so rich and powerful. So what does it mean to be ungodly or to be wicked or to be sinners or to be mockers? My goodness, those are not politically correct terms. You know what? Those are not, if you talk like that, people are going to say to you, you can't judge. You know, you're, you're not supposed to judge. Well, that's a twisted, convoluted mindset that really is not scriptural. We are to evaluate. Jesus said you will know them by their fruit. We're to be able to look at things, and we're to be discerning. We're to be able to, we are to recognize what is good and what is evil. Actually, we're told to discern between good and evil so that we can hold on and hold fast to the good but flee from evil. So we are supposed to evaluate. We're not supposed to judge in a way of condemning and um, critically, you know, condemning other people, but we are to be able to recognize what is good and what isn't good. And we are not to follow after things that are not of God. So these words, wicked, ungodly, sinners, mockers, you know, the Bible uses those words and does not apologize for using them. They're very descriptive terms. And so we, I don't apologize for using those words this morning either. But the word wicked or ungodly means those that represent the ways and the counsel of the world. It's people that have rejected God, people that are unsettled and don't have any rules to guide their lives. They don't have anything that limits their lusts, their temptations. There's no restraint in their life. I used to live a life with no restraint, very little restraint. You know, when I was a young woman before I came to the Lord, there wasn't a lot. I didn't have a lot to guide my life. There wasn't a perimeter or fence around me. It was just like whatever I felt like doing, 
I did. Whatever I wanted to choose, I chose. However I wanted to act, I acted that way. I had no restraint. I was ungodly. And so those are the people that God is saying we don't walk in their ways and we don't seek their counsel. A sinner is someone who is openly rebellious against God and his ways. Do you know anybody like that? I have some in my extended family, and I love them, and I'm praying for them. But my heart breaks over the rebellion and the sin that's just ravaging their lives and breaking apart families and just ripping open wounds in their lives. And you know what? I won't seek counsel from them because I see the fruit in their life. Am I judging them? No. I love them. But I see the fruit in their life. And so I don't allow their lifestyle choices to influence me and to guide me. I hope that instead I can be a light to them and that they will look at my life and say there's something different. She's found something that's changed her, and I want to know what it is. Who are the, pardon me? Oh, amen. Who are the mockers? How could we describe mockers? Have you ever been around anybody that maybe you would classify as a mocker? What would they look like? How would they behave? Anybody have any thoughts? Carrie says most of the news media oftentimes is true. But what would be, how could we define someone who is a mocker? There's kind of a progressive thing here. Someone who's first ungodly, and then they kind of have rejected, basically rejected God and said, eh, maybe he exists, but what is that to me? I don't need him. You know, so an ungodly person has basically rejected God. The sinner is the one who is openly in rebellion against God and in his ways. So we sort of see a progressive downslide here. The mocker is someone whose heart has become so hard that they openly scorn all that is godly or holy or righteous. So God is saying, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of these people. And so we need to take a look at this. He goes on to say that the one who is godly delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. It means that we think about God. We think about his ways. When we have questions, when we need guidance, we open up the Bible and say, God, what should I do in this situation? It means that we seek out people to speak into our life and to help us make decisions. It means that we go to bed at night and we talk to the Lord, or we wake up in the morning and we say, Good morning, God. Here I am. Please guide my steps today. It means that you have a sense of God's presence in your life, and you want him to be Lord. You don't want your flesh nature to be that which guides you. So um, it goes on to say that the godly man will be like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose life does not wither and whatever he does prospers. Does that mean you're going to have lots and lots of money in your bank account because you're going to prosper if you read the word of God? Well, you might. You probably will be blessed in ways that are beyond your expectation. It means that God's going to provide for you, and he's going to take care of you. It doesn't mean that you won't go through tests or trials or that you might not have some lean times as you're growing in the Lord and as you're learning how to be a wise steward of the things that he's given you. But it means that you're going to be planted by the streams of the waters of living Holy Spirit life flowing out of you, flowing into your life. I know when Gary and I came to the Lord, he had just uh, ruptured a disc in his back, 
he was 24 years old, and he was a UPS driver, and he ruptured a disc in his back, and he couldn't work. And so we were on workman's compensation. And they tried to get us to sign off of that, but thank God we didn't do it. But they were pressuring us to sign off of it. And we, the amount of money that we had coming in on workman's compensation just covered our expenses. We were able to make our house payment. We were able to make our car payment because we wisely had signed up for insurance on that if, we ever, if he ever was disabled so that our car payment was being paid. We just had enough money to pay our utilities, and that was about it. We had a little bit of money in savings as a cushion. We didn't have enough money for our food or any other miscellaneous expenses like gas. And so it was really a stretch. We were brand new believers at the time, and we were like, whoa. You know, everything that was seemed solid to us all of a sudden had crumbled. He couldn't work. I wasn't working at the time, although I could have been. I was a nurse, but we had made a decision that we were going to, I was going to stay home and be a stay-at-home mom with our children. That was a choice that we made. And I will tell you what, God proved to us during that time how faithful he was. But we worked hard. We ate a lot of eggs. We had about eight chickens in the backyard, and I had chickens. Gary doesn't claim ownership of the chickens. He doesn't care for chickens. We ate, I learned how to fix eggs in every way you could fix eggs. We couldn't afford chicken food, so we went and cut wild grain that was growing by the side of the road. We actually read about wild uh, things that you could eat out of your yard and growing outside. <laughs> I mean, you guys, honestly, we, we were so, we had nothing, no extra wiggle room, whatever, and we ate we went and picked stuff, and we, I learned how to fix all kinds of wild things. Gary hunted. We would eat rabbit. We would eat venison. We would do everything. We, we did everything we could to make ends meet. I would walk down to the little grocery store in Austinique because I didn't have gas money. But you know what? During that time, God proved to us how faithful he is. And it was a season where the things that we had sown in our previous life, the bad seed that we had sown in our previous life, God was causing us to start making adjustments and to live his way and to put him first. And it was a season of humbling. We were humbled. It was almost humiliating in some ways. I remember... Some friends invited us over to their house, and they had hamburger for dinner. We hadn't had meat in a really... We hadn't had hamburger. We had had venison and, and rabbit. <laughs> I learned how to cook rabbit in all kinds of ways, too. But they had hamburger, and we were like, wow, this hamburger is really good. And we really... I mean, we really enjoyed that hamburger. And then afterwards, there was about four or five hamburgers left in the pan. And the woman said, oh... I don't know what we're going to do with this. And I'm thinking, send it home with us. But she said, oh, I'll just give it to the cats. And they had about three cats. And she just put it in a dish on the floor, and the cats started eating it. And I remember thinking, you're giving that to the cats? But see, we weren't telling anybody what our situation was. And we were, we were learning to trust God. And God took care of us. And as the bad seed that we sowed in our previous life began to Crop failure began to happen, and it was, it was beginning to change because we were beginning to learn how to honor God and how to walk in his ways and to walk in the counsel of God. And we were choosing not to do the things we used to do. We were choosing to live, to honor and glorify our Lord. You know what began to happen? God's blessings began to overtake us. 
And it was amazing. I remember when we went to our tax guy, and he looked for several years in a row, he looked at our income, and he looked at how much we were giving to the Lord, not that, you know, but we were giving our, we were using the 10% to guide us and how much we were giving. And we were even giving above and beyond that because when God was teaching us to be generous, we would give beyond when we felt that there was a need. We'd give out of our own need. And I am not patting us ourselves on the back. Please understand that. I'm t- telling you what we were taught, how we learned to grow. We began to give out of our need. We began to share what we had with other people. Even if we didn't have what we thought we needed, we shared out of our need to other people. And God's blessings began to overtake us. And, and we don't know how our money was stretched. He, he could not understand it. He just kept saying to us, are you sure you really should be giving that much? Couldn't you just, you know, like he was trying to counsel us, the counsel of the ungodly. He was not walking with the Lord, but in his perspective, it did not make sense what we were doing. And we said, no, we're committed to give that amount. We want to give that to God's kingdom. And he just couldn't understand us. But it was the counsel of God in our life that began to cause his blessings to overtake us. And we saw it time and time again. He would send people to us who had no idea what we had been praying for that we needed. And they would say, I don't know why, but I just feel like I'm supposed to ask you if you could use this. Or someone would drop by with bags of groceries, and they would be exactly like what I was praying for. I'd be saying, God, if you don't come through... I don't know what I'm going to feed the girls in the morning. And God would have people show up and bring us bags of groceries. And again, that was very humbling for us. We weren't used to that. We didn't like being in that position. But it was a season of God teaching us things. And that's how God is. He wants us to learn that he's a faithful God and that when we walk in his ways, he will bless us and he will prosper us. He goes on to say that those who are ungodly or wicked are like chaff. Do you know what chaff is? It's that part that has absolutely no value or use. It's the part that needs to be discarded or swept out of the barn or the grain mill. It's like the chaff just is just stuff that's left over, and it has no value to it, no significance to it. And God is saying the people that mock me and scorn me and turn away from me and say that they don't need me, Until their last breath, I will reach out to them. I will love them. I will send people to them. I will try. I will endeavor to show them how much I love them and care for them. But there will come a day when those people that have turned against me and have rebelled against me, they're going to be like chaff. And they will not stand in the day of judgment. And you know, I was feeling that as I was praying yesterday, I was feeling that the Lord wanted us to recognize that there's no middle ground. And the Lord, I feel, gave me these words. I was just sitting in the living room, just praying and talking to the Lord, sitting in the dark. And I felt the words, no man's land, just drop into my heart and into my mind. Has anybody ever heard of that term, no man's land? It's not a commonly understood term nowadays. But back in the days of like World War One, in the earlier wars where it was more of a demarcation of the battle lines, there would be the trench 
of one army on this side, trenches of one army on this side, and the trenches of the other army on that side. And there would be a land between the two sides, the trenches of our army and the other army. There would be a barren wasteland almost where it was torn apart from the fighting and the battle, and it was called no man's land. And sometimes they could even, depending on how close the battle lines were, sometimes they could even hear conversations at night when they weren't shooting and so forth. They could hear conversations from the other side. It could be actually in close proximity to one another. And at night, under cover of dark, would be the time when they would repair their trenches and they would send someone out to try to rescue any wounded people that were out there. But no man's land was a dangerous place. You didn't want to go out in no man's land because you were vulnerable. And you might think that you were on this side, the winning side, but if you went out to no man's land, you could get picked off in a hurry by the enemy. And I felt like the Lord was saying, you cannot live in no man's land. There isn't a gray area. There is no provision. There's no provision for that in the kingdom of God. There's no provision. It's here is the line. We're either living for Jesus Christ and serving him and making him Lord, or we're not. We're, we're living for the enemy. And I wanted to, I'm wrapping this up because uh, our time is drawing to a close, but I wanted to sh- share now the third category. When we become a follower of Jesus Christ, we again, we redeem the time by what we choose to do with our life and how we choose to follow after the Lord. And we can be what's called a carnal or fleshly Christian or a lukewarm Christian who tries to go like this, you know, like one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. I'll just straddle the fence. Do you think that works very good? (laughs) It does not work. Actually, it's not very comfortable to stand this way. But to have, you can think, I've got one foot in the kingdom and I'll just dabble a little out here oh, man, it feels so good. My flesh really likes this. I'm just going to like keep my finger on this side and my foot on this side. As long as I have one toe in the kingdom, I can just kind of have all my secret stuff over here, my little stash over here of things that I don't want to let go of. That doesn't work. And I believe that God is really calling out to us at this time and saying, choose you this day who you will serve. It doesn't mean that you have to turn religious and legalistic, but it means that in our heart there's an attitude that says, God, I want you. I want to choose you. I want to follow you. And when we dabble in all that other stuff, when we don't allow God to gradually mature us, what happens? We stay like little baby Christians. That's what happens. If Paul was looking and acting and behaving like his grandson, Ryan. What would you think about that, Raven? Childish. (laughs) So if Paul was not growing and maturing, we'd look at him and we'd think, man, what's wrong with that guy? He's not acting like he should be for his age. He's kind of acting childish, and he doesn't act that way. I know Paul doesn't act that way. I'm just using, Raven's like, what? (laughs) I'm using that as an example. But all of us, should be, to some degree, maturing in the Lord, right? We should be growing. I mean, it doesn't, we're not going to be perfect at first, but in our heart, in our heart, there should be an attitude that says, God, I give you permission to clean up the junk in my life. 
I really don't want to long after those things. I don't want to pursue those things. I don't want to put my time into those things. I don't even want to put my finances into those things. You know, why would we want to support things that are not of the kingdom of God? Let's put our efforts and our resources into God's kingdom, right? And so it's, it's a heart attitude that says, God, you're first, and if that means I have to die to self, if that means I have to give up some things, if that means I need to be humbled a little bit, maybe more than a little bit, I'll yield to that. It might not feel good, but I'll yield to it. And it means that we choose the Lord. But when we don't, it's like we have an umbrella in our life. See, when we allow, when we choose other stuff, it's like you have this over your life. And you begin... The blessings, the Lord would love to bless you, but the blessings get deflected because you've chosen to step over here and plant yourself more over here. And so the blessings in your life get deflected. And God is speaking, but it's distorted. You're kind of under an umbrella spiritually, and the distortion of God's voice begins to make it so that you make stupid choices. You know why I can say that? Because I've been there. There's been times when I've gotten dull spiritually and I've made stupid choices. And so we need to take that down and get rid of it and keep things open and honest between us and God. Don't live in no man's land. Don't be allowing the enemy to put that umbrella over your life. I want to close by reading out of Luke Chapter 4. Well, actually, I'm going to read out of Isaiah 61, which is where Jesus quoted from. So I'm going to turn to Isaiah 61. And Jesus stood up, and you can find this in Luke 4. He stood up in the synagogue on the day that he came into the Sabbath day, and he came into the synagogue, and the, the book of Isaiah was opened. And they gave it to Jesus to read. And this is what he read. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim freedom for the captives and to release from darkness those who are prisoners and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus didn't quote that part because that's ultimately going to be fulfilled on his second coming. But it was indeed a day of vengeance of our God when Jesus hung on the cross and he paid the price and he rose again and he served vengeance on Satan and his kingdom. And he went on to say to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes and the oil of gladness instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. That is God's purpose for Jesus' ministry, and that is God's purpose for every single one of you who has come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. That is the call that's on our lives collectively. That's a call that's on our lives as individuals, and that's a call that's on our church. And that's the passion that we have as leaders, is that we would walk in that. And I want you to know that God will use you in ways even more than you are being used now. And he has such amazing plans for each one of you. So don't hold back. Don't keep one foot on one side and one foot on the other side. Choose the Lord 
God Almighty, he's calling us. He was calling this morning during worship. Did you catch that, catch that with the two prophetic words that were shared? Lori shared at the keyboard, and then Ron came up and shared also. God was saying, step into the fire. Let the fire burn in your hearts. Don't let our hearts grow cold. Don't let the things that glitter in the world fascinate you and keep your attention and captivate you. Let God's love captivate you. Let God's heart burn in your heart. Live your faith as if you believe that what I just read is true, because it is. We need to live our lives as if what we stand for is true, because it is. We need to share the hope that we have with other people. We need to shine brightly. Shine. Shine with the light of Christ in you. He's in you. You, you, There's nothing. He can't add any more to it. (laughs) The Holy Spirit is in you. You have a treasure in your earthen vessel. And we can just shine so brightly for the Lord everywhere we go. Can I have you stand to your feet? It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. There are lives out there that you have touched that when you get to heaven, they're going to be there because of you. Do you know that? There's going to be people in heaven because of you. And you can take more there with you. This morning when we were praying up in our prayer room up there, which everyone is invited uh, before church, we pray from about 9.30 till about 10 to 10. We gather up there to pray. You're all welcome to come. But upstairs this morning when we were praying, I'm stepping out here in faith. I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said that today he wanted to, that there were going to be bones that were going to be made straight. I don't know exactly what that means, except I'm going to put that out as a word from God. And if you have crooked bones in your body, whether that would be um, fingers maybe that are arthritic or whether you have scoliosis of your spine or anything, if it bears witness in your heart, that the, I just felt like these words came, bones would be made straight today. So I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you need healing in your body. Raise your hand. And those that are near the people that have their hands raised, would you just lay a hand on that person if, if they don't mind? We're going to lay hands on the people that need their bones made straight and healing in their bones, and we're going to declare that in faith today, not in faith in anything I'm saying, but in faith that God always wants to heal his children. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we speak that over each and every one of these persons. We say, bones be made straight in the name of Jesus. Be healed in Jesus' name. Kingdom of God come and will of God be done in these bodies. Let those bones be restored to their original design in the name of Jesus. Where there's things that are out of alignment, we speak alignment. We speak healing. We speak health to the bones in this congregation. We speak health to everyone's bones in this place. Be healed in Jesus' name. We command all spirits of infirmity off in the name of Jesus. Bow your knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. All infirmity goes to the cross. And we thank you, Jesus, that because of what you did on the cross, this healing belongs to us. Can you say, those of you that are needing healing, can you say, this healing belongs to me because of what Jesus did on the cross? In Jesus' name we pray. 
Father, I ask you to bless these bones now. And your word says in Proverbs that, the, that your word will be moistening to our bones. So we ask that you would lubricate the joints and lubricate all the bones and cause them to be healthy and strong. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, if you have an area where it's in pain, just try it and test it out. You know, Jesus told people to get up and take up their bed and walk or stretch out their arms. So stretch out your areas in faith and see if you have noticed improvement. And sometimes healing is a progressive healing, so you may notice some improvement. And if you do, thank God for it. And continue to thank him throughout the day and in the coming days for healing. And even have your spouse or your friends continue to lay hands on that point. Does anybody notice an, a significant improvement as we pray? Anyone having something that you notice as a change already? In the spirit. You're sensing something shifting in the spirit? Well, Father, we continue to thank you and praise you and bless you for healing these bones. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being here today. Be a light wherever you go. Walk in the light and stay in the kingdom. Don't dabble in anything outside of God's kingdom, okay? Amen. God bless you.